John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. And so for the last three weeks, if you've been a part of our church family, we've been praying and fasting, and we've just been asking God to just do what only God can do when we've gathered on this Sunday. And there's something about gathering like this. There's just been this anticipation like bubbling up in my heart over the last couple of weeks because if you've ever read the scriptures, one of the things that you see all throughout the scriptures is that Jesus has this way of showing up in the most wonderful religious events and giving birth to a movement of God. Jesus shows up when we come looking for a little and so often he gives us way more than we could have ever expected. I'm not sure if I've been thinking about birth all week just because of my family, probably have. But on Thursday, I, I'm there in the midst of the moment ready to catch the touchdown and it's like the most <laughs> glorious and terrifying and God-inspiring moment, right? This, this new life being born. This new thing, no effort of its own, coming into the world, it's a he. He came into the world and there's this amazing moment when you realize he didn't plan that moment. He wasn't sitting around going, this is the day I'm going to be born. He wasn't planning the family. He wasn't planning all of the things that God was getting ready to do. And I was driving in this morning and I was thinking about so many of you and I went, man, so many of us have shown up and we had no idea. We've come here for some songs and sermons and communion and fellowship and we had no idea that this was the day that the sovereign Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, was going to reach down and touch you. This was going to be the day that he was going to touch your heart. He is known from the beginning of time that for some of you, this was the day you'd be born in the kingdom of God. He's known for some of you, this is the day you're going to be reborn. This is the day where your cold heart is going to come to life in, in the presence of God. I've just been going, God, would you do what only you could do? Because Jesus has this way of showing up in the midst of the religious events and giving us what we need. And that is a fresh encounter with the living God. And I don't know, what, I don't know where you came this morning. I don't know if you're, what you're wrestling with, what your soul is aching for. But I promise you, if, if you came into this place with guilt and shame and lust and fear and apathy, with your own self-righteousness, if you came into this place with any of those things that I so often bring, if you leave here without being touched by God, you'll go home with those things. But when Christ reaches down, something happens. And I love this moment in John chapter 7. I want us to just look at it for a few moments. Jesus shows up and he does what he so often does. He shows up at this huge, beautiful, religious spectacle. And Jesus says, are there any people here that are thirsty for more of God's presence? And Jesus begins to make this unbelievable promise. Open up the word of God with me. John chapter 7. Let me start in verse 37. Are you guys with me this morning? Are you here? John chapter 7, verse 37. I just want to read three verses for us. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look on the screen. It says this, On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and in a loud voice. He said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and freely drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within them or will burst forth from within them. By this, Jesus meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not yet been given. Listen to this. Since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so there's this thing that I really want us to notice. So often we come into gatherings like this and we spend a lot of time thinking about the promises of Jesus, but we don't slow, slow down long enough to take note of where those promises are actually being made. 
It's not enough just to know the comments that Jesus made, but the context in which he made those comments. And I want you to notice this. John is going to say Jesus shows up on the scene here and he makes this unbelievable statement. He says, if anybody's thirsty, let them come to me and freely drink. And John's going to say, but you've got to notice where he's making the promise. And he gives us a couple of clues here. Look back at verse 37. I want you to notice where this conversation's happening. He says, it was on the last and the greatest day of the what? On the last and the greatest day of the feast that Jesus stood up in a loud voice and he made this unbelievable promise to a group of people like you and I. People who, in, in, in regards to the relationship with God, were religiously diverse all over the page, yet they had a common need. And it's in the midst of this unbelievable place that Jesus makes this promise. And so if we rewind just a little bit back to the beginning of John chapter 7, you're going to see this uh, amazing thing unfolding. Jesus at this time is this celebrity. Half the crowd thought he was the, uh, you know, the, the greatest thing ever, the liberating king of kings who would free the world from sin, and they would be right. Half the crowd thought he was the liability to powers that be, that he would turn up the religious system and turn over the world as they knew it, and they would be right as well. And it says in the beginning of John chapter 7 that Jesus, this celebrity, shows up in the midst of this feast called the Feast of the Tabernacles. It was a 2,000-year-old celebration that the Jewish people would come to. And I want you to picture this with me for a moment because the place in which Jesus makes his promise brings the promises of Jesus into three-dimensional color. It's an amazing thing. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people at the end of October or the beginning of November, just like we're gathered here this morning, would come into Jerusalem for this Feast of the Tabernacles. This is the feast that Jesus has just shown up to. Hundreds of thousands of people would come into Jerusalem and for seven days they would celebrate who God had been, who God was, and who they expected God to be in the coming years. And so they would come into Jerusalem and for seven days they would camp out. Those that lived in Jerusalem would move out of their homes. They would build these little tents and these forts. People that were coming into Jerusalem would build tents and forts. And for seven days they would sleep outside, they would worship, and they would remember what it was like for their ancestors to walk through the desert for 40 years without a place to live. For seven days they would worship and celebrate and they'd eat amazing food and you kind of want to picture this a little bit. It would be like Bonnaroo minus the nudity and the drug use. Just this huge, joyful, national camp out all for the glory of God. People coming into the presence of God. But John says it wasn't just at this feast that Jesus makes his promise. He said it was on the last and the greatest day of the feast. And so after seven days of worshiping and celebrating, after seven days of joy, they'd have this huge parade. Just picture the Macy's Day parade and the priest would lead the parade. They'd get these big golden pitchers and they would lead the people into the lower part of the city of Jerusalem and they would dip these bowls in the pool of Siloam and all the crowds would chant Isaiah 12 verse 3, Lord, we dip our bowls into the pools of your salvation. Would you pour out your spirit upon us? And they would sing and they would dance and they would cheer and they'd have this parade walking all the way through up into the middle of the city of Jerusalem into the temple where there's this huge altar, this rock altar and the priests would walk up and they'd march around it seven times, just like they did at the walls of Jericho. The band would be rocking, the people would be cheering, the people would be worshiping and singing. This was like the pinnacle, the most joyful moment of the most joyful week of the most joyful part of the year. And the priests would pour the water on the rock and say, Lord, pour your spirit upon your people. And everyone would cheer. And it's here in this moment, the last and greatest day of the feast, that Jesus shows up. And the promise that he makes comes to life when you understand the place in which he's making it. It's in the midst of the greatest celebration, the joy, the music, the wonder. Everybody's standing up and Jesus stops the crowd, the celebrity. I mean, just imagine, he's like, hey, 
No, it probably didn't sound like that. But he's like, hey. And you can almost imagine, I mean, I was just thinking about this this morning. If Jesus walked into this crowd, he's like, this is awesome. This is so cool. The, the lights were blah, blah, blah. It's so, it's so cool. You can hear Jesus in the midst of the event. He says, this event is amazing, but what you need is more than an event. What you need is a never-ceasing encounter with the living God. He says, what you need is the presence and the person of God to flood your weary soul and bring you back to life. And you can hear Jesus in the midst of the celebration. He stands up and he says, is anybody thirsty? He says, come to me. Freely drink. And those who believe in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will burst forth from within you. And by this, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. It's as if Jesus knew that there was no one that needed a touch of God more than a religious group. And Jesus stood up amongst these people and he said, there is more of God for all of you. And I hope this is what you're hearing this morning. There is more of God for all of you. Whether you're born on a church pew, go to Lipscomb or Belmont or Vandy, rich, poor, single, married, Christian or not, there is more of God for all of you. And Jesus stands up in the middle of the ceremony and he begins what would eventually birth the movement. And I want us to notice this for a moment. I don't know if you, you take notes, but I want you to just, we're, we're gonna do this as simply as possible because I want you to see it in the word of God and then we'll open up the opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. But if you take notes, I just want us to see these words of Jesus kind of in three, in three movements. What is the blessing that Jesus is promising? Why is this blessing available to us? How do you receive that blessing today? What is the blessing? Why is it available how do you receive it today? And so I want you to jump back to verse 37 with me. And I want you to, to really think about what is this blessing? What is Jesus offering people like us in the midst of these religious moments? Look back at verse 37 with me. He says, he stood and in a loud voice, he shouted, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within them. I want to be abundantly clear on this. Jesus knew his audience, and he's using language that would bring his audience's heart to life. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's the blessing. The blessing is the never-ending, never-ceasing presence of God inside of you forever. This is the blessing. The never-ending, never-ceasing presence of God inside of you forever. Jesus looks at him and says, listen, you don't need more religious readings. You don't need more religious rituals. You don't need more religious rules. What you need is a relationship with the living God who longs to be inside of you forever. It's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says, this spirit who has been with you will be inside of you forever. This is the promise that Jesus is making. Now, it's easy to miss because Jesus uses language that would have spoken to them. We've, we've kind of got to see through it. You know, in our culture, we have these words and these phrases that we use to speak of God all the time, right? Metaphors that we use to think about who God is. And so a, a little while ago when Brandon was praying, Brandon made the comment. He said, Father, we love you. And none of us in here thought Brandon was talking to his earthly father at that point, right? We understood the metaphor. We understood that because Jesus has given us this framework, this language, God is Father, that we use this language to understand who God is. Before, before Jesus came, one of the most common phrases used to talk about God, one of the most common metaphors to speak of God in the Old Testament was living water. 
All throughout the prophets, over and over and over and over, God, when he talks about his presence amongst the community, when he talks about his work within a city, he talks about himself as living water. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 3. This idea that the living water of God would come in. And I want you to notice this for a moment, because this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, listen, you've, you've come for the event. You've come for the encounter. You've come for the experience. He says, but here's what God longs to do in you. God doesn't just want to free you from your sin nature. God wants to fill you with streams of living water. And when the people would have heard this, they would have gone, oh my goodness, are you telling me that the presence of God will live inside of people that believe in Jesus Christ? And this is the promise. That the fullness of God's presence will dwell inside you forever when you believe in Jesus Christ. This is the craziest thing ever. Can we just uh, admit to this? But this is what Jesus is saying. And either we have to water down his promise so our lackluster lives look, make sense in light of his promise, or we have to ask God to do in us what only God can do in us so our lives begin to make sense in light of his promises. Jesus looks at his disciples, he looks at the people in the crowd and he says, listen, there's more of God for all of you. He says, if any one of you is thirsty, come to me and streams of living water will burst forth from within you. I want you to hear this for a moment. Isn't this a beautiful thought? Jesus says, if your soul is thirsty, come to me for a drink and what you'll leave with is a river. This is the economy of God. You come for a sip and you leave with a river. You come when your marriage is struggling. You come when your faith is weak. You come when you have questions and doubts that you don't know what to do with. You come into the presence of Jesus, hoping he can satisfy your soul at least for a day. And what he gives you is the fullness of a river bursting forth, renewing, changing, refreshing, moving your life. And this is what he says. Look back at verse 38 with me. He says, this river... This living river, this presence of God, not only will it refresh and renew and change you, he says it cannot be contained in you. It will flow beyond you. It will flow out of you so that those around you begin to to experience the touch of Jesus' life in you and through you. This is one of the ways we will know that we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, that everyone around us will only see Christ. Living water refreshes and renews and changes. And Jesus said, this is what's on the table. What's the blessing? It is the never-ending presence of God inside of you as you believe in Jesus Christ. That's what he's offering. And I go, how do we receive it? Jump down with me to verse 39. I want you to see this. We'll keep moving. Streams of living water will flow from within them. By this, Jesus meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until this time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. That's a huge phrase, that word glorified. Now, I I love this moment because John is telling a story about when Jesus is kind of leading up to the cross, his crucifixion, his resurrection. And all throughout the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus would talk about his pending death for the sins of the world, when Jesus would talk about his life that he was going to lay down as an atonement for many, as Jesus would speak of that, he would talk about being glorified. So you see this in John 13, all the way through John chapter 17, Jesus would say, now the hour is here for me to be glorified, for me to be crucified for your sins, for me to be buried in a tomb, for me to be resurrected. 
You've got to hear this. I know some of you heard this a thousand times that God himself knew every sin that you would commit to dishonor him. And he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. You've never been loved like that. And I love this, this picture, this, this thing that Jesus is telling them. He says, listen, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, not because of your moral performance or because you're good. He says, you are going to receive this blessing because I'm willing to take your blame. Remember where this promise is taking place. It's here in the midst of the water pouring ceremony at the Feast of the Tabernacles. The music is going. Jesus stands up and he makes this huge promise. And I I want you to picture this for a moment. The last thing that they would do in that big parade that I mentioned at the beginning is they'd pour water down this rock, this rock altar. And they'd be reminded of that moment back in the book of Exodus where the people were thirsty for water. You can go back and you can read this story later today. It's in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 17. The people were, were parched and thirsty for water. They'd been wandering in the desert. And so Moses, their leader, comes to God and he says, the people are dying of thirst. And there's this beautiful conversation between God and the Israelite people. He looks at Moses and he says, listen, their physical condition is just a picture of their spiritual reality. He says they are physically thirsty because their souls are dehydrated. And then there's this beautiful moment in that conversation where, where God says to Moses, the reason they are struggling spiritually is because of their choices. He says, they are to blame. And then God does the unthinkable. He says, but here's what I'm gonna do. He says, they're the ones to blame. He says, Moses, I, I will go before you and the people. I will stand upon the rock in front of you and the people. The glory of God will be there upon the rock, Exodus chapter 17. And he tells Moses, Moses, I want you to take my staff And in front of all the people, I want you to strike the rock on which I'm standing. In that culture, the staff was the symbol of judgment, of leadership, of authority, of power. The staff had been given to Moses by God as a symbol of judgment and authority and power. And there's this beautiful moment where God looks at the people who are spiritually thirsty and he says, you're the ones to blame for your spiritual thirst, but here's what I'll do. I'll go before you and I will take your blame so that you can take my blessing. And there's this moment in Exodus chapter 17 where Moses strikes the rock. He metaphorically judges the Lord as the Lord had asked him to do. And as soon as the rock is struck, the water begins to flow. Do you remember what happens when Jesus Christ dies on the cross in John chapter 20? When Jesus Christ the rock, as Psalm 62 says, when Jesus Christ the rock is struck, the water began to flow. And the reason we receive the blessing of the Spirit of God in our lives is because Jesus Christ was willing to take the blame. And there's this beautiful moment here in John chapter seven where Jesus stands up and he says, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone wants the river of God gushing out of their lives, he says, this is the blessing. You can have the presence of God. And the reason you can have the presence of God is because I will take the blame. And so I wanna end by just asking one more question. How do you and I receive that blessing. How do you receive it? Jump, jump back with me to verse 37. It says, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and in a loud voice, he said, if anybody is thirsty. Do you know what the word anyone means in the Greek in the original language? It means anyone. It's... <laughs> Thank you, Lipscomb, for the education. It means Anyone. Jesus looks out and he says, are any of you thirsty for more of God? Do any of you struggle to love the Lord? Do any of you struggle with righteousness? Do any 
of you struggle to, to hear God's voice and to know him? Do any of you struggle with your sexuality? Do any of you struggle with your temper? Do any of you struggle to, to keep your morality in check? I love this. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, come to Jesus and freely drink. And streams of living water will burst forth within you. I want you to notice this. There's one qualification for this blessing, and there's one way to respond to it. And so let's think about the qualification for a moment. How do you receive the living water? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? How do you receive the salvation of God in your life through Jesus Christ? How do you receive it? What is that qualification? It's not what you have, it's what you don't have. Did you notice this? He said, here's the qualification. He said, if anybody is thirsty. Thirsty is an admission of what you're lacking, not of what you've managed to, to hang on to, what you have. And so often we just miss this. We think that the presence of God in our lives has something to do with what we've accrued, not what we're missing. And Jesus says, here's a single qualification for God to do a work in your life. It's for you to know and for you to admit that only God can do a work in your life. There is nothing that will stunt the work of God in us like our religious Southern mask on, play it safe, manage it on our own morality that we call church at times. Nothing will keep the presence of God away from us than our inability to admit that we're thirsty for more of him. I remember earlier this year, I, I got a phone call from Carnival Cruise Lines. And uh, if you remember last year, it was not a very good year for Carnival Cruise Lines. They had a couple of boats that got stuck out at sea. And so in January of this year, a guy called me and he said, hey, hey Dave, or hey, Mr. Clayton, whatever he called me. And uh, he said, I work for Carnival Cruise Lines. And I'll just be really honest with you, bro. He called me bro, so I knew we were like locked in. <laughs> and he said, I'll just be honest with you. We had a really bad year last year and we were giving away free cruises uh, for seven days. The only obligation is that you tell your friends that we're not as bad as everyone thinks we are. So if you can just, I'm like, I can do that, you know. And uh, if you deliver, I'll do that. I'm not gonna lie. And so he says, okay, so we're calling to offer you and your wife a seven day uh, trip to Hawaii. And I'm like, yes, sign me up. And he's like telling me about the gift and how amazing the gift is gonna be. And then he gets down to the last part. He says, there's only one thing that you need to do to qualify. I said, what do I need to do to qualify? He said, you gotta be married. I'm like, yes. And he says, and you gotta be 35. And I'm like, ah. And it was like the one time in my life I wished I was older. I'm like calling my friend from high school, make me a fake ID, do whatever <laughs> you, you, you gotta do, you know, to, to, to get me on this trip. Like I, 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 I wanna go and I go, there's nothing worse than seeing how good the gift is, how good the blessing is, and then feeling like you can't qualify for it. And I want you to see how low God sets the bar so that ordinary people like you and I can be over, overflowing with his presence. Here's the bar, that you would thirst for God. We thirst in so many ways. Sometimes it's because we're empty and you haven't had anything to drink. Sometimes you thirst because you've drunk water but you mowed the yard and you went for a run and you're just depleted. Sometimes you thirst because yet you've known what it's like to taste something good. You know, maybe you've had these moments, you walk into the kitchen and you don't think you're thirsty, but your roommate has a cup of cold iced tea sitting on the counter and you remember what it's like to taste it and you're like, oh, I want some of that. And some of you are thirsty 
simply because you've tasted the river before. And I love this. Jesus says, whatever is going on, whatever is happening, whatever is stirring in you, whatever it is that's generating your thirst, come to me and drink. And when you come to me for a drink, what you're going to leave with is a river. And I want you to notice this. The only qualification that's needed is thirst. And the only response that is needed is a man or woman willing enough and courageous enough to own their thirst. There's this moment in Acts chapter 2. This is the last passage that we're going to look at this morning. There's this moment in Acts chapter 2 where uh, Jesus has been glorified. He's been crucified, buried in the tomb. He's risen from the dead for the sins of the world. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in a, a moment like this on an ordinary group of people. The Spirit of God has been poured out, and everyone there is going, what happened what happened there? And there's this beautiful moment where Peter stands up and he begins to tell them what happened. He says, listen, the blessing that you're seeing is the Spirit of God being manifest in the lives of ordinary people. And he keeps going in Acts chapter 2 and he says, the reason that blessing is available to you is because Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, was buried in the ground, has risen from the dead, and he has poured out his Holy Spirit upon you. He's been glorified. The reason you can receive the gift is because you've been glorified, because Jesus has been glorified. And there's this moment where the crowd, they've seen the blessing and they've heard what it takes to get the blessing. And they say, what do we need to do? I love this. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. The words will be on the screen. I want you to see this. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Man, we're so done with religion, Peter. What do we do? I'm so done with my old sinful ways. What do we do? I'm so done with my apathy. What do we do? I'm, I'm so done with living this duplicitous life. What do we do? And I love this moment in verse 38. Peter replied to them, repent. Repent. And that word literally just means to come to God with your thirst. To come to God with all that you are. To quit doing it on your own. To quit working for your own strength and your own success. And I just look out and I go, man, what, what do you do when your soul is thirsty? You repent. You come to God. He says, he says, you repent. You come to Jesus. Keep going, verse 38. And what's next? Be baptized. Be identified with Christ in the midst of your repentance. You, you lay down in the water with his death. You're raised in his resurrection. You're buried in guilt. You're raised in glory. You're buried a sinner. You're raised a saint. I love this. He keeps going. He says, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the what? Say it with me again. And you will receive the gift of the? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the blessing? It is the Spirit of God in you forever. Why can you receive the blessing? Because God took the blame so that you could receive the blessing. When Jesus the rock would be struck on the cross, the water would flow into your life. How do you step into it? You turn to Jesus. You be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I keep going, verse 39. He says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off whom the Lord our God will call one day. That's talking about you and me and us. 
Verse 41, and those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. And there's no, there's no like grand closing to this. There's nothing cool. There's nothing amazing on my end. I just want to ask you to really consider your heart before the Lord this morning and ask yourself the question, have you tasted the river? Is the river of God flowing out of your life? Is the, is the presence of Christ in you? Have you turned to Christ in faith? Have you been identified with him in baptism? Have you been filled by the power of the Holy Spirit? The rest of our time together this morning is just going to be a time of response. And response is not something that you only do when you're saved. It's something that we, we keep doing as we keep coming to Jesus. And so I want to invite all of you to think about how you respond. In a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to have a time of worship. And down here over to this side of the stage, to my right, your left, you're going to see this, this blue flag. And over in this area, we're going to have men and women who are just here and ready to pray for those of you um, who are followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, Romans 8 says you have the Holy Spirit. That's just the truth. But some of you need God to unplug the river in your heart. Some of you need God to, to do something. You go, man, it doesn't feel much like a river anymore. It feels like a trickle. And some of you just need the, the presence of God. You need God to, to do a work, a, a fresh work in your life. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, keep coming to God to be filled with the Spirit. Keep coming. Continually come. Continually be filled. Continually come to the only one that can fill. And so over here we're going to have a time of prayer uh, for, for those of you, for whatever it is, whether you feel like you're in a good place with the Lord or not, you're going to have an opportunity to, to come be prayed over. So in a moment when we stand, if you need prayers or if you want to pray over people in the room, just come down and join the prayer team. And let's just kind of pray over this room together. There are those of you in this room who have placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe it was 10 years ago or two years ago or two minutes ago when I was talking and you went, man, Jesus took the blame so that I could have the blessing. You go, I want what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 7. And I go, would you be obedient to Jesus today? Like, would, would you respond the way that the people do in Acts chapter 2? They say, what do we do to receive this gift? It says, turn to Christ, be identified with him in baptism, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the promise that, that Jesus puts on the table for you. And I know right now some of your hearts are burning and you're going, oh, I want to do this, but I didn't bring a change of clothes. Great news, we've got clothes for you every size. You're going, I don't have a towel. We got a towel. You're going, oh no, my hair looks too good. Do you have a blow dryer? No, we don't have a blow dryer. <laughs> Man, I wish my family and my friends were here. We're taking pictures and videos. I just want to encourage you. If, if the Lord is calling you today to be identified in Jesus, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, let nothing keep you from the gift of Christ in you. The only qualification is your thirst. The only way to respond to it is to come to Christ. And when you come for a drink, what you'll get is a river. So I want to invite you to stand up. I'm going to pray over us. And in a moment, if you want to be baptized, grab your friends and your family. If you're scared to come down by yourself, walk down front. There'll be men and women wearing red t-shirts. You can come over to this side of the stage and meet up with them. There'll be people scattered around the room. But I want to invite you as, as we pray for God to do what only God can do. Let's lift our hands before the Lord in prayer, just saying, God, give us what only you can give us. And so let's lift our hands before the Lord in prayer as we get ready to respond to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for who you are. 
God, anything good that has happened today is of you. Anything that is from me, God, would you help us to just forget it? God, I pray that you would move hearts, that you would bring people to Christ, that you'd give them courage in baptism, that, Lord, you would pour out your Holy Spirit freely and abundantly upon us as we worship you, that, God, you would help us to love you and to know you so that streams of living water would burst forth within us, not only for our own enjoyment, but for the good of those around us. God, would you use ethos, would you use us, God, to bring about revival in this city, in in this culture, In our country, in the world, God, would you do what only you can do? Lord, this morning, as you begin touching hearts right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just the fire of your love just go up people's spines, call them to yourself, Lord, in a way that they would know you are real and good. Lord, would you speak into our cold hearts if we need more of you? Give us the courage to come for more of you. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. It is in the name of Jesus that we worship. It is in the name of Jesus that we gather and celebrate. And together as a church, we all say amen. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Jesus and freely drink. Anyone who believes in Jesus, just as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will burst forth from within you. By this, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. So let's worship. If you want to be baptized, come forward, grab your friends, and we'll continue to celebrate. Love you very, very much.